Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever, and we're back for a Q&A, this one for September, and we've got producers Adam and Sanford, and we're going to get into some of your questions. Thank you so much for sending them. And uh, hello, Sanford, how are you doing? Hi, Juliana, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Adam, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, I'm living. I'm ready to hear these questions. I previewed the questions. Some of them are listeners are going to be happy. It's provocative. <laughs> um, I love that. Okay, here we go. First question is from Instagram. Linny Khan on Instagram. It's a very short question, Juliana. Ready? Yes. Anything regarding constipation? And by the way, that's how it was written. <gasps> yes. Well, shit happens. Or... If not, unfortunately, constipation happens. And it actually happens to a lot of people. It is so common and it can be chronic and it could be severe or it could be temporary. There's so many things that cause constipation, but it could vary all the way from something that's kind of irritating all the way to something that is lifestyle debilitating. And this could be from causes of your diet, of course. And then there could be other things like going on that are related to your endocrine system or your neurological system or your metabolic system. There are certain medications or pregnancy or weight loss periods in life where constipation can ebb and flow, and it can be quite difficult to navigate. So I know that, you know, people say, oh, eat more fiber. And that's why a whole food plant-based diet is so efficacious at helping mitigate constipation. The reason is that plants are the exclusive source of fiber in the diet. But, you know, that said, I've been plant-based for quite a long time, almost 17 years, and I've dealt with so many clients. And I've noticed that even while on a plant-based diet, it's still not foolproof. And there are still people that suffer with this. So you know, basically the, the sad news is, I can, I'm going to give you the good news after, but the rough news is that it's largely treated kind of empirically, meaning that it's, you know, the physicians or whoever is helping you with it kind of looks at um, observation and experience rather than kind of, there's like a hardcore set of rules on how to ameliorate constipation. There are all sorts of dietary things that we could talk about, but there's also supplements that may or may not help. Like there's all these fiber products and there's laxatives and there's bulking agents and there's stool softeners. Some people swear by biofeedback. There's some evidence to support biofeedback as well. Ultimately, here's what I would say. Make sure, look at your diet. First of all, go plant-based. Of course, eat more plants. That's what I would always say to everything. And when you're already there, I would encourage you to focus on whole plant foods. So every time you refine a food, like if you go from the whole grain, sprouted grain wheat, and you take out, you know, refine it, you're removing fiber. So you want to go to the wholest food possible to make sure you're getting the, the quintessential amount of, of fiber. And then there's all these different fibers. So it always goes back to eating a diet of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, and infinite tasty combinations. And I see my lovely producers bouncing their heads because they love when I say that apparently, <laughs> which is good. Um, so yes, going back to that, staying as whole as possible is helpful, maybe help, very helpful. Then the other thing you could do dietarily or lifestyle wise is make sure you're getting enough fluids 
Sometimes constipation can either happen or be exacerbated by dehydration or just suboptimal fluid intake. So drink a lot of water, drink your tea, drink, you know, whatever it takes. Caffeine helps a lot of people as well. And, you know, sticking to a routine is really important. That circadian rhythm really does help with bowel function and so does exercise, getting that flow going throughout your body, pun intended. You want everything flowing and exercise is very healthy for the gastrointestinal tract. Getting some blood flowing and getting the motility going, really, really helpful. And then the last thing I would suggest is that you need to be your own detective. And because there are so many things that can happen and could be the cause of this, the best thing you could do, and it, it sounds so simple, is to keep a detailed food and symptom journal. This is what I do with my clients. Write down everything you eat, what time you eat, your exercise, your fluid intake, when you have a bowel movement, when you're constipated, any other symptoms, and follow the trends. And that's what I do with my clients. I have them submit this to me so I could help them identify the trends. So if you're having a difficult time seeing what might be going on. You've tried all of the stuff I just mentioned. You know, reach out to me. I'm still taking clients or, you know, healthcare professional. It's always important. And if it's something more severe, you want to make sure you go to your gastroenterologist or at least your, your family practitioner or internist just to kind of identify what may be going on to rule out anything that may be pathological that needs to be addressed and, um, and then be your, your own detective. And, and I wish you all the best because it's really uncomfortable and miserable. That was a really shitty answer. <laughs> there it is. Um, Juliana, do you have a name for your list of like the things that we should all eat? What is that list called? I don't know. I call it the food. I just say this is what I want you to do. <laughs> um, can you can you spontaneously say the list backwards? Oh, you totally threw me under the bus because no, I, I've never. Let's see. Spices and herbs, seeds, nuts, mushrooms, legumes, whole grains, fruits, vegetables. Is that right? I'll have to check that. I, I don't even think we know. We'll yeah, have to check the merch shop at the t- on the t-shirts at the merch yep, shop. There you are. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank, that was that was that was a good chat. Actually, that was really good. Our next question is from Facebook from Jacqueline uh, on Facebook. Um, Jacqueline would like to know. I've read that drinking tea inhibits non-heme iron absorption. So what amount of time before or after a meal do you recommend for not drinking tea? Thank you, Jacqueline. Great question, Jacqueline. And let me just explain to you, Sanford, what non-heme is, because that's an important part of this question. It's not really- Just so you know, Adam, I just saw Adam roll his eyes, just an FYI. So Adam, Adam, do you know what that means? No, this is like I would I would have seen this in like the Scripps National Spelling Bee, and that's it. Juliana okay, is going to give us both an education here. Thank you, sir. Juliana, back to your wisdom, please. Happy to share my wisdom. Okay, so there are two forms of iron that we consume in the diet. There's heme iron that you get in animal products and that we make in our body. And then there's non-heme iron, which is what we get from plant foods. So when you're relying exclusively on plant foods for your iron, which are people on a plant-based diet then you need to think about non-heme iron. So the cool thing is that there's no more incidence of iron deficiency anemia in vegans as in omnivores. So you can absolutely get enough iron from plants that it's not a problem. Heme iron is absorbed better, which is why doctors always say, I get my clients all the time coming to me saying, 
I'm anemic and my doctor says I need to eat steak. Have you guys heard that? Oh, if you're anemic, eat red meat. Right. Uh, I, I was diagnosed um, as anemic a number of years ago. And the first thing I was told was to eat steak. Yes. Right. Right. And very common. And it's very common to get anemic during periods of life. There's also issues that lead to anemia that are usually non-dietary, believe it or not. Usually it's related to a bleed. So I, I'm digressing. But heme iron is better absorbed. However, we're going to have a theme today that like just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. What we also see in the scientific literature again and again and again is that heme iron has its own risks. It is pro-oxidative. It is really well absorbed, but that is part of the problem of including these animal products in terms of the progression of chronic disease. So just because it's good doesn't mean we need to eat that. We don't need to eat steak if you've got iron deficiency anemia. I treat my clients with that condition all the time on a plant-based diet. That said, you do want to be mindful of how it absorbs. Anyone that wants to consider making sure they have adequate iron stores, you need to consider how you consume it. That is what Jacqueline was asking is about the time after the meal because things like caffeine, tea and coffee, other things that get in the way of absorption include phytates and polyphenols. There's certain things, and calcium actually, calcium, by the way, will inhibit the absorption of iron. So there's a lot of research that says make sure you separate your caffeine, those, those compounds, from when you're taking the iron-rich foods. So the research is not exactly clear on exactly how long it takes and how long you have to buffer that meal. It seems to be around two hours. So have your coffee or tea, give yourself a couple hours before you have your iron-rich foods, which I'll talk about in a second, and then give it another couple hours to make sure it absorbs and it has time to go through that, that process before consuming more of those things. So it's also very, very helpful to, well, let me just tell you what iron-rich foods are in a plant-based diet. The best ones are legumes, particularly lentils, kidney beans, and chickpeas. Then, of course, our leafy green love. This is why I love my leafy greens, particularly spinach and Swiss chard, which are high in oxalates. So I'd rather you get your leafy green iron-rich sources from things like purslane or broccoli or cabbage or kale. Fresh herbs are also wonderful. And um, the other thing that's really interesting is that Something like potatoes have iron and vitamin C. So the combination of iron-rich foods and vitamin C-rich foods helps because the vitamin C helps the absorption of iron. Foods that are high in vitamin C include citrus and broccoli and strawberries and bell peppers. All of those fruits are wonderful. Some other tips to help uh, iron absorption, make sure you're, you're, making, you're getting those foods, you're getting enough legumes, make sure you're getting at least three servings a day. You could also cook foods, especially foods that are water-based and acidic, like tomato sauce, in a cast iron skillet. That helps as well. And not taking calcium supplements together with meals. But, you know, if you've got iron deficiency, that won't go away. Again, you could call me or you call your healthcare professional. You might want to consider, you might have to supplement temporarily. And you also want to make sure what is the cause of the iron deficiency. And then usually they will, they will supplement with a ferrous sulfate or another kind of ferrous salt um, when, when that happens. But usually this can be corrected by diet if there's not some underlying uh, pathophysiology going on. So, yeah. That was super interesting. Um, Adam and I both reacted to the same thing, the skillet. Why is the skillet the game changer in, the, in this scenario? I wouldn't call it a game changer. I'm just saying it's another way to get some more iron. Really? That's fascinating. I now feel much better about 
using one cast iron skillet for damn near everything that I cook. That's really but I didn't know. I mean, I guess I haven't, I have never been anemic or anything like it. And I guess I would not have been over the last couple of months because I've taken after Juliana, eaten plenty of greens, and I guess I'm consuming some of the very skillet that I cook out of. No, I'm sure that's not how it works. But, you, you know, uh, anyway, go, go on. That's uh, fascinating. Anyway, well, thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline. That was a good answer, Juliana. Here we go. Okay. Next question from Instagram. Marie underscore Craig 85 wants to know, can you suggest anything that would help with acne breakouts? I would imagine this is a more common question than we think. It is quite common. And as a lady here who had suffered decades worth of acne with, I was on a mission to get rid of it because I was an actress. I was always having to deal with my skin. Nothing helped my skin until I went whole food plant-based. I can't even explain how passionate I am about plant-based diets helping skin health. And so I'll say that. I'll drop that there. But let's talk about acne. Acne is multifactorial. There's all these different things that can you know, increase the production of sebum, the release of these inflammatory mediators in the skin, hyperkeratinosis, colonization of these bacteria. There's all these different factors that come into play when it comes to acne. But it's, you know, there's, there could be some genetic predispositions. There could be hormonal abnormalities. There could be immunological disorders. There could be psychological, like stress issues, anxiety, environmental issues, and even iatrogenic factors. So there's all these different things that could lead to that to having acne, you know, you notice that when teenagers go through puberty, you that's when acne starts, right? For most people. And the reason for that is there's this burst of growth hormones in the blood to grow, right? Kids need to grow up. And so they have to get bigger. So they have these fluctuations, these influxes of IGF-1 and growth hormone. And we're like raging hormonal machines as all of us have, that have been through that or have children and teenagers know. And um, that can lead to acne. So if you've seen someone on steroids, these guys in the gym that are trying to get really big, guys or gals or whoever is trying to get really big in the gym and they're taking hormones, whether or not you know the ones that have acne, they're likely taking in hormones or or they are taking in big doses of, you know, protein that comes from usually dairy, like um, whey or a whey protein powder, something like that. That's going to boost the body's IGF-1, which is what causes acne. So what does that mean for you? If you're already in a whole food plant-based diet, because dairy is probably one of the most number, I would say it's got to be the number one obvious thing to eliminate in your diet because it boosts IGF-1 so significantly. Think about it. Dairy is made for a baby to grow. So it's got all of these growth hormones in it. So if you're consuming dairy after you've already been fully grown, that's going to promote acne development in your skin. But there's other things in the diet. If you're already whole food plant-based and you're still struggling, things that tend to be correlated with acne in the science too, but definitely this is stuff you hear about all the time. Stuff like sugar, high glycemic diet actually has been associated with increased acne. And we could talk about that, but that's a whole other kind of um, nutritional worms, vegan nutritional worms, not gummy because that's sugar. But anyway, okay, I digress. So no sugar, <laughs> refined foods, fried foods, all that oily, deep fried stuff, 
all of that stuff can contribute to oil. So it's going to come back to what I would suggest, what I suggested before. Keep a detailed food and symptom journal. Look at what causes the breakouts. Look at when your skin looks good. Make sure you're eating all of those health promoting foods that do take care of your skin, like your carotenoids. So all those reds, oranges, yellows, and leafy greens that I always recommend because those are going to help contribute to skin health. And don't touch your face. Those are other things you could do as well. Make sure you're getting your plant sources of omega-3 fatty acids. That's really good for skin integrity. So that's stuff like flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, soy foods, walnuts, things like that are really good as well. You could take a microalgae supplement. And, you know, it does matter what you put on your face as well, exogenously, externally. So make sure you have a nice skincare product line that is free of of chemicals and that feels good and you keep your face clean. You know, you wash your makeup off before you go to sleep. For those of you that wear it, those are other things they could do hygienically to try to ameliorate your skin. I have a question that you, I don't think you've paired yourself for, so we can cut this out if you want. Is there such a thing? Remember how, you know, women used to put cucumbers on their eyes to make them less puffy. Are there any foods I feel a little silly asking this, but are there any foods that you can put on your face to sort of help with acne? I love this question. And I don't have to be prepared because I talk about this. (laughs) I do Q&As all the time and love to answer off the cuff. Okay. And I love that question. And I'm getting, I've been so into this for so many years. I used to do these things and I still do sometimes like a sugar or a salt scrub and I'll use coconut oil. The only time I ever use coconut oil is on my face and my skin and my hair. I don't consume it because it's so high in saturated fat. We've talked about that here. Um, you could use oatmeal, make an oatmeal mask, like like puree oatmeal with with the liquid. Yeah. And you could rub it on your face and it's really, really healing for the skin. Cucumbers are great anti-inflammatories. Uh, there's so many other wonderful, delicious foods that you could put on your face that have that same effect. Can I ask you a question? Avocado. Julia? I'm, yeah. I'm going to jump in here too. Um, and I know you're not a dermatologist, but why would rubbing oil on my face reduce my acne? Coconut oil specifically has antimicrobial properties, which is why people tout it as a health food. But once it goes in your body, you're still dealing with the saturated fat. You don't absorb mm. enough of the saturated fat for it to matter if it's, if it's applied topically. Oh, okay. So That's interesting because most times I hear oil and acne and I equate them, but not necessarily the case. When, the consumed, case. when consumed, yes, it's a problem. Mm, but when you're okay. just putting it on, other things like um, you could use those carotenoid-rich fruits and puree them and put that on your face. You will see an effect. Even tea, like tea bags, if you like soak tea bags and put them on your skin, anti-inflammatory. So mm. those have a very similar effect topically as they do internally. But I would suggest definitely – it matters most what you put in your body first and foremost. And lots of water, by the way, lots of water and tea, again, is going to help with improving your skin health. Our listeners might not know this, but our, our beloved Adam is getting married in, in just a couple of weeks. And I think, Adam, before your wedding day, you should probably put an oatmeal scrub on your face and take a picture of it. And Juliana will put it on her social for everyone you know, to see. I've done it before. I won't lie to you. I'll have to mix in some carotinous fruit. Good use of word, by the way. Also, good double use of the word ameliorate. That's yeah. happened twice in this episode, and I admired that greatly. Isn't it a great word, ameliorate? Great word. You're hitting us with all the SAT words. That <laughs> That's great. Very good. That was great. Okay, next question. Here we go from Instagram. Clack NY10 wants to know, 
do we need to worry about getting enough choline? So my question for you, Juliana, first and foremost, is what is choline? And am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, you're pronouncing it perfectly, Sanford, of course. And thank you for this question because this is the compound, it's an essential nutrient, choline, that the egg industry touts as why we need to eat more eggs. And that is why it comes up often. So what is choline? It's an essential nutrient. It's not actually a vitamin or mineral. It's kind of its own little category. It's found in food. It's available as a supplement, but it's also produced by the liver in our bodies. We need it for brain function, for fat metabolism, for cell membrane signaling. So we definitely need to consume it in the diet and uh, we can get it from plants. So although plant foods tend to be lower in choline, this is very similar to our iron question before, uh, it's, it's lower in plant foods than it is in animal foods, we could still find choline in small amounts in a wide range of plant foods. So it's definitely possible to get adequate amounts on a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. You know, it may be something that vegan women that are pregnant might consider including in their prenatal, just because when you're pregnant, you kind of need more of everything. And choline is important to avoid the risk of neural tube defects as well. Um, what else do you need to know? What, like the daily DRI is about 425 milligrams a day for adult women, but then it's 450 for pregnant women and 550 for men. But, you know, again, just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. Interestingly, like heme iron that's so well absorbed, there is a lot of evidence that when you have a high intake of choline, which you'll find again in eggs or carnitine, which you find in meat, these things get converted to this compound called trimethylamine, TMA, by our gut bacteria. So this TMA is then absorbed and converted by the liver into a compound called TMAO, trimethylamine N-oxide, which is interestingly a substance that's been linked to a higher risk for cardiovascular disease. It promotes inflammation. So again, just because we need choline doesn't mean we need lots of choline. So instead of that, consider including in your diet things like mushrooms and soy milk and wheat germ and sun-dried tomatoes and those legumes, soybeans, tofu, lentils, other beans, peanut butter, flax seeds, pistachios, quinoa, amaranth, and you will get plenty of health-promoting choline. I love this. This is so interesting. I love these questions from the listeners. They're so interesting to me. Okay. Thank you for that. Next question. Hajarami on Instagram wants to know, what do you think about dry intermittent fasting? Well, I had to go and look this up. <laughs> I was like, what is dry intermittent fasting? I had never heard of this. And it's really a thing called dry fasting. And when I read this, I was a little bit horrified and scared. I was like, people are really doing this? Basically, people are not only just, you know, because I recommend time-restricted eating. I time-restrict eat. I eat twice a day, once a day sometimes. And um, there's incredible benefit. We've talked about that so much. and I always want to talk about it. I, I implement it with most of my clients, many of my clients. But water, to restrict your water, oh my gosh. So this is one of those fads that come up that I think are one of those dangerous fads. People are apparently using this to increase their tone, their muscle tone, like they're dehydrating. This is what like those bodybuilders that are going on stage for contests do. And it's like to implement this and thinking there's some kind of healthful component. It's this thing called hypertonicity, like basically increasing your tone because you're just 
you know, it's like dehydrating, like look at a dried fruit compared to the whole fruit. You take out the water and you see all the little intricacies of that dried fruit. Um, people are using it to lose weight because um, there ha- there was like some study that maybe showed some antioxidant, anti-edemonous, basically like anti-getting um, rid of the water, some immune in- stimulating effect according to one study. But okay, please do not try this at home ever. You are putting your body in a major state of stress. You cannot, we cannot live without water. I mean, we know that it's like three days, right? Until you die from dehydration. So like, why would you do this to yourself? There's, you know, it's maybe you see that they saw that benefit in that one single study because of that stress state of hormesis. It's an adaptive response of the cells in the organism to a moderate stress. But that's why, you know, Time-restricted eating is so beneficial. That's why eating plants is so beneficial. However, please, listeners, do not try this at home. Do not dehydrate ever. Make sure you're getting plenty of fluid. Dehydration could lead to severe complications like seizures, brain swelling, kidney failure, shock, coma, and you can die. Um, so yeah, definitely not necessary. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about how important it is to hydrate. We need water. Usually the recommendations, the ones that I usually go by, because it really doesn't matter, depends on the temperature and your age and your sex and your pregnant, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or if you're exercising or what time of year it is, what kind of foods you're consuming. There's so many things that come into play with how much water you need to consume. I usually go to the recommendation guideline of take half your body weight in pounds of like me, 120 pounds, 60 pounds, and turn that into ounces per day of water. But you can get that from your food and tea and all that other stuff too. Um, But generally speaking, that's kind of a nice guideline, but please do not restrict your fluids. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Thank you for that. Last question. Last question of the episode is from underscore fit 20 on Instagram. What are some of your favorite immune boosting foods? Like is it, it, this- is, it, is this the first time you've ever heard that question? <laughs> is there like a long trailing list of things we might eat, which might be immune boosting that you could say and we could put on a shirt? No, but I feel like I feel like this is a very common question, right? Oh, it's always been extremely common, but especially in light of our current environment in the last couple of years, a year and a half, it's been a primary focus of what people ask me because you know what? Honestly, you are quite literally what you eat. And if you haven't heard our meditation, go back to that because that talks about how beautiful and magnificent it is. But our body is extraordinary and our natural immunity is gorgeous. Like we are adapted to survive. We are survivors. Our body can handle so many things and it is so extraordinary how we handle stressors in the world. And, you know, Ultimately, the number one thing I would say is get out of your body's way and let it function optimally. And that comes into two different things. So first of all, it's what you are avoiding putting in your body, you know, the extreme toxins, cigarettes, and of course, lots of alcohol, and of course, refined foods and processed foods and a lot of animal products and sugars and all of those things, chemicals, we want to reduce our exposure as much as, as much as possible. We can't live in a bubble. Gosh, as a mom, I wanted to put my kids in a bubble. That was a real hard event for me to go through is having children and letting them be out in this really scary world. There's a lot of stuff out there. And so it's what you do avoid, right? But then it's also what do you put in your body? So we could focus on that as well. But like ultimately that comes down to, yes, vegetables, fruits, or grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, and spices, and combinations that we're going to put on a shirt. Yes. Yes. Of course I'm going to say that. I'm a little predictable at this point. I know. That's okay. 
repetition sometimes helps. But also the things you could do are exercising because exercising, again, is going to stimulate your lymphatic system and your lymphatic system is responsible for taking things out of your body. It, you know, it helps with your immune system. Eating a wholesome, unprocessed, colorful diet because that's going to help feed your microbiome. And the gut microbiome is hugely interrelated with our immune function. So this is why I recommend those six daily threes. If you go to plantbaseddietitian.com and you look at my six daily threes, you know, those are the, the leafy green and cruciferous vegetables, mushrooms, other colored vegetables, the red, orange, and yellows, the uh, fruits the nuts and seeds, the legumes, those things are so health promoting and they have all these important compounds that I do recommend prioritizing those. You could also make sure your vitamin D levels are good. We've seen that a lot in the literature when it comes to COVID and of course, everything else immune related. So make sure your vitamin D is at a good level. If not, then make sure you're getting some sun therapy or just managing it with uh, some supplements if you need to, but really important for that. But your gut bacteria are the gateway to your health, and you do this by consuming plenty of fiber, which is what serves as fuel, the prebiotics for your healthy gut microbiome. So those are the things I recommend. It goes, always goes back to the same thing, but that's because our body is so extraordinary, and I want you to get out of its way, first of all, with all of those other things, and then flooding it with all this magnificence that you can find in whole plant foods. Nicely done. That is a wrap on this month's Q&A episode. Adam, do you have any parting words for us before Juliana does her outro? Get a cast iron skillet, everyone. <laughs> and forget that dry fast thing. I've done intermittent fasting for three and a half years. And if I didn't drink water during that off window, I would have passed out. I mean, that's nuts. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your thoughtful questions, as always. Yes, thank you, everybody, so much. And if you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. And if you haven't downloaded your free cheat sheet yet on five ways to choose you now in your diet, visit chooseyounowdiet.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.